Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Superside. So Superside.com, if you need something designed quickly, go to Superside.com, give them a try. We are back. This is the kickoff, Nick. Um, We have a guest today, uh, Nick Bear. Um, Sean doesn't know much about Nick. Uh, Nick, I will... uh, I'm going to say... Do know each other in real life? No. 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 I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of his. And uh, so, Nick, we uh, we do this podcast and it's got a great listenership and people reach out to me all the time and they think they know me because I'm in their ears. And I feel the same thing about you, except I get to see you because you're uh, a big YouTuber. Nick, you want to kind of give background about who you are? Yeah. Uh, so I'm an entrepreneur based out of right outside of Austin, Texas, Army veteran, Um so I started my business in 2012 when I was in college out in Western Pennsylvania. Started in 2012. I was studying nutrition. I started Bear Performance Nutrition, which is a sports nutrition dietary supplement company, knowing absolutely nothing about business um, and thinking that I knew it all. Um, and then a short year after starting my business, I joined the military, went active duty army, where I then got stationed in Fort Benning, Georgia for a year, completed the U.S. Army Ranger School, Airborne School. Um, infantry officer basic course and then got sent to Fort Hood, Texas, which landed me in Texas from Pennsylvania. And from there, I started using social media, building social media platforms, scaling my brand. Um, long story short, I transitioned out of the military in 2017 and we scaled our company um, from making $20,000 the first year to now making uh, we're on track for eight figures this year. That's great. And so while you were in the military, you were creating content? You were like a YouTuber slash soldier? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think of myself as like the pioneer of military YouTubers. And it wasn't really by by like choice. Um, I started creating content on YouTube's documenting training and nutrition. And it wasn't until my unit got sent to South Korea for a nine-month rotation. That I was like, well, I guess I either stop doing all of this stuff or I take my cameras with me to South Korea. And that's where people really started getting insight of my military lifestyle because up until that point, I kept it separate, but it was almost forced to merge. And uh, at the time, there was no one else really doing it, or at least that I know of, and it really just picked up. And were were the people around you, were they supportive of it? Were they like, hey, what are you doing? This is not about YouTube right now. Uh, What was the reaction you got from kind of your peers or your kind of leadership? Yeah, I mean, I I kept it very separate. So when I was at work – I can only count like on my hand a few times that I ever took like a GoPro to like to work. But I would work like I would work on my business and YouTube and stuff before going to PT in the morning before 6 a.m. And then as soon as work was over at like 5 or 6 p.m. if we weren't in the field when I was back working on my YouTube channel, my business. So I kept it pretty separate. But my my platoon loved it because I was a platoon leader in the infantry. I had 40 guys in my platoon. And I was creating these videos on YouTube and they were in the videos. So all their friends from across the country, they met in the army, were like, yo, guys, I'm seeing you in this guy's YouTube videos. And they loved it. They loved seeing the journey and the process. So they were super supportive. Upper level leadership didn't really feel the same way, but like my guys, my guys in my platoon, they loved it. 
Okay, that's cool. And so, and then Sam, do you uh, do you use his product? Do you take his product? Yeah. So, his product is two things. So he has the the nutrition business, which uh, I have ordered, or I'm I have, and I'm in the process of ordering more from him. But the way that I discovered Nick was through YouTube. Have you seen his YouTube channel, Sean? I haven't seen any. Should I look at one right now? He's amazing. Nick's awesome. So, Nick, what do you have? Like 350 or 500,000 500, subscribers? Subscribers? Uh, I just crossed 400,000 like last week. Okay. So, Sean, Nick's like 194 pounds, right? I know that's because I I watch him a lot. He used to weigh like <laughs> 250, 220, uh, still like ripped, like uh, about like, like, uh, uh, a good 220 or whatever you used to weigh and he would post these videos of like 220 pound guy runs a six minute mile yeah and i'm looking at the i'm looking at your youtube channel right now and you're like super jacked are you this jacked right now or was this like like, like i can't you know zoom zoom doesn't do you too many favors right, right? Like, i, I, I have shoulders up i have no pump right now no i mean i, I used to weigh like 220 230 pounds and the focus was just put on size and strength so it was like bodybuilding powerlifting and then in the past like year and a half, I transitioned more to endurance stuff. So I trained for my first Ironman. I did an Ironman triathlon last November. Uh, and now I'm training to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So over that journey, I've lost like 30 pounds. Um, and I maintained some size. I mean, I'm nowhere even – I'm not close to as strong as, and big as I used to be. But, he's uh, still huge, Sean. He's so very big. How did your channel uh, like get big? Was it just a steady climb, or were there some like videos that went viral or something that let let it take off? Yeah, I mean, for the first two, for the first two years, it was very gradual. Like the first two years, I think I gained thirty thousand subscribers, um, and this was just like fitness information, training information, diet information. And then when I went to South Korea, um, what happened there was this one day. It was like it was a, a week before I had to go to the field with the military for a month. So we were going to be gone for a month. So I start filming this video. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to film like a day in my life. So I just carry my small camera out with me. I film my PT session. I film what I'm eating. I interview my platoon sergeant, some of my platoon. And I just like film this video called Day in the Life of an Infantry Platoon Leader. And I edit it up and I post it. And within like 30 days, that video went to like a million views. But what was crazy was the correlation between subscribers and views. So it gained a million views, which now is it's nothing. Like people gain a million views on videos all the time. But that that million view video gained me like fifty thousand subscribers in thirty days. So my channel went from thirty thousand to eighty thousand in like a month. And so Sean, you asked if I use his stuff. I watch his videos every five day. I don't know how you have a, like two or three a week. It's like yeah, about two a week right now. Yeah, so I watch all of his videos, and I discovered him a year ago. Sean, you remember how I was training for that Ironman like a few months ago? Yeah. So I, I'm like, I'm not ripped like Nick, but I weigh a fair bit. I weighed 210 pounds, <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. I weigh too much. Like I got, and so I saw his, I saw that he was training for it as well, and I really got into it. But then I um, saw that he was in Austin. So Nick, my company, The Hustle, we have. Uh, our, most of our employees at this point are now in Austin. And I was like doing research and I called my friend Noah Kagan and I was like, Noah, do you know this guy, Nick? He's the best. And so anyway, I've like back channeled and I've learned a lot about him. And then I also learned about uh, Bear Nutrition, his company. So I've learned a fair bit about 
this guy. That's why I was saying I feel like I know know him, even though we've never actually met. Yeah, small uh, world. I yeah, I know I know Noah pretty well. Small world. And just so I understand, so you did the YouTube channel. You built the content first, and the the uh, actual supplements brand second, or the or they were happening at the same time. No, so I started my supplement company in 2012. I didn't start Got social it. media until 2014. So I see. I think that. That kind of like blows people's mind now because you typically like you'll see people, people that start companies a lot of times in social media, they build this audience and then they say, how do I monetize it? Well, I created the company first. So I, I, I created my supply first and then I realized, okay, well, I have no demand for the supply. How do I create demand? Um, so 2014 is when I started building social media platforms out. Gotcha. And so uh, with the supplement company, you know, there's a lot of these out there, right? There's like probably, it's probably one of the most competitive categories is sort of health and fitness, um, you know, supplements and vitamins and protein shakes and all that good stuff, pre-workout, post-workout. So what was your thinking at the time? You're, you said you're, you're in college or you're, you're sort of pretty young at the time. Why start a new company and what made you think this could actually work? Yes. I was, I was studying nutrition in college. I was on an Army ROTC scholarship. Um, I remember being a freshman in college and my buddies in the dorms had no money left in our bank account. So all we wanted to do was buy pre-workout to go to the gym. So we decided, all right, we're going to save up. We're each going to save up about $30. We're going to pitch it in. And we're going to buy these ingredients in bulk and we're going to mix up our own pre-workout. So here I am in the dorms freshman year. I have this food scale in my living or in my room on my, next to my bed and I have all these white powders and ingredients. So I'm mixing up these white powders on this food scale and then kids would come to my dorm and I'd, I'd give them a bag of white powder. This pre-workout looked like I was dealing drugs like out of my – anthrax or – Yeah, or something. looks like I'm dealing drugs out of my college apartment. <laughs> but I just – I loved sports performance nutrition and I loved the supplement space. Um, so that's how it started. Like, that's how I started making my own stuff. And then it was – Where did your, your first, first stuff come from? from? My first actual production order was from California. Um, but when I used to make my own stuff in the dorms, I would just buy like bulk creatine, bulk caffeine from like supplement, other supplement companies that sold single ingredients. But between my junior and senior year of college, I was like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a company. So I found a contract manufacturer based out of California and I took it on a $20,000 loan and I, I, I placed a production order for supplements, built the website myself, did all like the promo stuff by myself, um, the advertising, the, the logistics, the packing, everyone's, everything was done out of my college apartment. Uh, but that's how it all started. Like, that's how I got into it. And what's your revenue now? You said eight figures, so north of a million a month. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're on track for like 12 million, 12 million this year. And so when you, when you launch this thing, some businesses just work straight out the gate and then others, most of them I would say, don't. And so you, know, you take the $20,000 loan, you do all this work. Which category were you in? It works right away or did not work right away? Yeah, so I – my plan was – I told my dad. I said, I'm going to make a million dollars year one. And he kind of just laughed at me. So I sent all these bottles of pre-workout to like YouTubers and fitness fitness influencers at the time, which was a completely different term in 2012. And I thought that they would – I thought, hey, these guys have 100,000 followers on YouTube. If they make a video about it, at least maybe 1,000 of those people will buy this stuff. So I sent it to the, the fitness YouTubers. They like do a half-assed kind of like posting about it. I launched the company and like literally zero sales come in. So <laughs> year one was $20,000 in revenue after just offering like 
50% off discounts all the time to start because I had, to pay, I had bills to pay. Year two was $20,000 in revenue. Year three was $20,000 in revenue. Um, so there's no growth first three years, but it was a crazy first three years because I launched this company a year before going to active duty military. So I was in and out of the, tr- the field training all the time. So if this was your main thing, you might not have stuck with it, but you were able to, you kept it going while you were in the military though. Yeah, I kept it going while I was in the military. I mean, I was gone so much. Uh, I mean, the, the one the one course that I was in with the military was a 17-week course. I think nine of those weeks I was gone, just in the, in the woods training. And so I went through ranger school. I was gone for four and a half months there. So I was in and out of training all the time, but I was trying to grow the company whenever I had the, the opportunity. On 20K in sales, what's your typical margins? Uh, not including if you, not including payroll, just like your contribution margin on these things. Um, I was in the red then because I was pretty much selling products at cost because <laughs> of the discounts I was offering. I was just trying to move inventory because I had, I had some bills to pay. And then I was spending money on marketing, which I had no idea what I was doing with marketing. So my ROI was like zero on the money I was spending. Um, and I kept trying to invest all the money we were making back into the brand. So really like, I mean, I didn't pay myself personally until 2017. I built the brand for five years before I took any money from it. What about now? So on a million in dollars in sales, these types of businesses, what, are, what can your typical contribution margin be? After expenses with overhead, uh, just the hard good, just, um, uh, just your fixed, uh, or your um, just like the the growth the variable margin. cost. So after the yeah. after cogs after shipping. Yeah, we can have uh, roughly sixty percent profit margins. And then so and then and then you got to take care of your people and your marketing. Well, are, but do you guys do you guys spend any on marketing now? Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, we didn't start spending money on marketing until two thousand seventeen. That's when we first started running paid ads. Up until that point, I mean, we made our first million in two thousand seventeen, and that was all organic. Um, and then. At that point is when we started spending some money on on marketing. But I mean, the only marketing we do, Facebook, Instagram ads, uh, email marketing, and then like athletes or ambassadors, SEO. Yeah, because I, w- right. I would think that at this point, you guys, I would imagine, I mean, I, I definitely think you'd want to spend on marketing if you could spend profitably. But I would think that the majority of your sales are coming from your YouTube channel. They were for a while, but we've now like last year... Our brand now today is a completely different brand than it was last year. Last year, if you would talk to our customer base, a lot of them would say, yeah, I know who Nick Bear is. But I think a lot of our customers now actually don't know who I am, which is the way which I want great. This is Yeah, it's where I want it to go. Um, so I'm happy with that, that kind of transition and evolution. And what was the turning point? So three years, this business kind of sucks. Uh, you know, if you're my brother, I'm talking to you and being like, hey, man, Maybe we should wrap this thing up. This is not working. And then, you know, eventually it does turn around and now you guys do an eight figure. So what was the turning point? Where did it go from a crappy business to a not so crappy business? It was actually when I was I was in South Korea. So when I got to South Korea for a nine month rotation, we were making about $2,000 a month, two to $3,000 a month in revenue. And I told myself by the time I leave, I want to make uh, $10,000 a month in revenue. That was my goal. So... I mean, we had a lot of downtime over there. I told myself I'm not watching any movies, no TV, uh, no like leisure stuff. Every waking moment outside of work with the military was going to be spent learning how to market, how to create videos, how to edit, 
I taught myself how to code a website. I read books, listened to podcasts. And within the first 90 days of being in South Korea, we went from $2,000 a month in revenue to $10,000 a month in revenue. And while I was there, I did a small rebrand of the company with new labels, new logos, a new website I built while I was there. So the rebrand helped, um, but it was just learning the ins and outs of business that I didn't know up until that point. So Nick, uh, something that we basically, this whole podcast, it started because Sean and I have um, started and sold some things before, like companies, and we also angel invest a fair bit. And eventually what we started doing was we just started, like, started riffing on the various companies and opportunities that we're seeing in the market. And so I want to do that with you. But before we get to that, um, where Sean and I live in Silicon Valley, and this isn't necessarily how I live, or we, in my business, we've not raised any venture capital, but most people raise a lot of money. Um, not, I mean, bootstrapping, which basically is normal for how to start a company. That's not normal where we live. Have you ever considered raising money? Um, and what has been your thought process between, uh, of not doing that so far? Yeah. We, I mean, like I said, 2012, I took on a $20,000 loan, which was my first initial funding. Uh, 2017, we grew uh, like 1,700% or seven, sorry, seven, 750% we grew in 2017. So at that point is where we started running into inventory issues because, for example, I had to place a, tw- a production order for inventory and that is a 12-week lead time. So at the time, I didn't have established relations really with manufacturers, so I had no terms. So I put 50% down for that inventory and when it shipped, I pay it off. I pay off all the inventory before it got to us. What was happening it was because we were growing so fast, I would get that inventory in, I would sell out of it in five to seven days, and then it would be 11 weeks until I had more inventory. So we were constantly out of inventory. We were pissing off all of our customers. Cash flow was like – I was pulling my hair out at night. You know, I was like so stressed out because like, we're growing, we're making money, but cash flow was so tight because we were scaling. Um, and we slowly dug out of that just naturally and organically just by stacking some production orders, timing inventory, getting control of inventory more. And we kind of set ourselves up for success there. There were some points after that with, with growth um, because we've essentially doubled revenue year over year after, after 2017 that I thought about taking um, some investors on. And we've had the opportunity to. But what I actually ended up doing was creating systems and other services that aren't product-based, um, so like subscription services or like um, virtual services that are essentially just 100% profit margins that are we're using to internally fund the growth of the brand. So what's what are, the what are, yeah. best one of those? Um, so training – the last like three years have sold online training programs, which are PDF downloads. Um, we're about to launch our app within – the BPN app, which is uh, a subscription-based training platform called Embrace the Suck Training, um, and then launching a uh, online nutrition course here shortly. So all of those, because there's like, really no overhead associated with them, we're using to fund the growth of Bear Performance Nutrition. Because I, I personally at this Wait, point, why, why, but why, why, why not just only do that? Because because I love the product-based business. I love I, I love. I love BPN. I love like the employees we have. I love the team of the culture and the community. Like I could never give up BPN. Do you think any of those could be the same size or bigger or do you think they inherently might be 
smaller but good cash good cash cows for you to fund the business. I think they they could be the same size if not bigger. Yeah, Sean, uh, what dude, his you're I've been researching a lot of these uh influencers that create fitness apps. They yeah. crush it. They crush it. Sean, do you know who Kayla Itznew is? It seems. Yeah, we we both have wives that subscribe 100 bucks a year to her. Oh my god, it's crazy how big that is. And then I also was researching another one. Um, you know D- Diamond Dallas Page? Yeah, DDP, of course. Yeah, do you know how he, do you know so you know what his shtick now is, right? No, 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 no. What is okay, it? Okay, so he uh Diamond Dallas Page is a wrestler from the 90s, probably 80s even. And uh he's he might be 65 now and he has a yoga training program and a lot of veterans use it a lot of manly like manly men use it to rehabilitate themselves and people love it and he charges i think 50 dollars for three months and uh it looks wonderful like i I almost bought it the other day i might buy it uh but these (laughs) these like training programs i imagine the churn is pretty high but these training programs and these apps um they seem relatively simple to build they seem like awesome businesses if you can uh Prevent churn. Yeah, right, Nick? I, th- I think a lot of people do it. They do it wrong. A lot of people rush it, and they they don't put any like especially in the fitness industry. People just want to turn up, turn out all these products and push them out as fast as possible. So, like someone that's not qualified to create a fitness based product or a nutrition based product will do it because they think they're qualified, which is a, it's a massive liability. So, like for example, with with our training platform, Embrace Suck Training, the subscription. We hired someone who, who's fully certified, uh, strength and conditioning certified, Green Beret, to build these programs for us. Because as much education and experience as I have with training, I don't have all the certifications that that make me credible to you know to, you're to jacked, watch that. Dude, when you're jacked, that's the certification for. Do you know how to train? Well, that's the thing. That's that's, 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 that's that's what I consider the certification, and that's what most people do. But I mean, some people just have great genetics, and like they don't have. <laughs> The, you know, is that you? Did you have great genetics? Were you just naturally pretty ripped? We, I mean, me, my brother, my dad, we like the Bear family. It's it's like grass fed farmers from Central Pennsylvania. So we got, we got some good <laughs> we have some good genetics. But dude, I'm but like Nick, a like bean fed farmer from India. It's like, oh man, we're we're, we're screwed. <laughs> and, and what did you build your platform this platform on? It, okay, and you're saying platform is it going to be an uh, an app? What is it going to be? Well, which one? So, so your training thing, he's saying, did you hire a developer? Did you use some no-code tools? How did you? How are you building the fitness app? Yeah, the, the fitness app was built from scratch with a developer uh, here in Austin. So we've been working on that for the past man eight months, and it's not it's not launching officially till this summer. However, we launched it early for free during COVID nineteen and just made a home training uh, portion of it. So like day one, we had like ninety five hundred downloads. Um, on that just because it's it's free and it's like home training so like that value we're offering this people are people are taking advantage of it they love it what's your niche going to be for that is it going to be like uh people who are like uh i don't know how i don't know the politically correct way to describe this but like manly men who are like buff or like heads is it yeah or like nerds nerds who want to get fit women who want to lose weight like what's your thing it's uh it's it's geared towards a functional um like hybrid athlete. So it's it's the way I train. Like uh, going to the gym, throwing weights around, strength training, running up to 10 miles, doing some hikes. It, it's, it's a combination of a hybrid style training. That's, I mean, it's called embraces suck. It, it's going to be difficult. 
it's not necessarily a beginner program, but I'd say more so intermediate to advanced. And what will you charge for this? $30 a month. Dude, this is going to make so much more money than profit, like <laughs> so much more money than protein. Yeah, but our, our goal is we want like I see things as vertically aligned. Like I want people to come to the Bear Performance Nutrition platform where we're training them properly as opposed to what we're other people are doing. We are, we're providing great products, the supplements, and we have the nutrition course where like we're literally like we want to give them all the assets and tools that they can to become successful within one spot. Why are you guys going to succeed at this? Whereas like I would – OK. So um, I know on it. I don't I don't have any insider information on them. I just know of them from Googling and researching the founders and stuff like that. They seem – from an outside perspective, that does not seem like a very good business if I had to guess. Um, why do you think that you guys will succeed at this? And why do you think that the people like those folks are not as good? I, I'm not – you don't have to uh, say they're not as good because you seem like a nice guy. But I can say it. I don't think that they're – I would bet they aren't a super profitable company. I think I think Onnit's killing it pretty well. I mean, they have a pretty good uh, representation here in in Austin, and I, I and I respect I respect everything they do and put out. Um, I think like where we focus is, and where a lot of, and I'm not speaking about Onnit. I'm just speaking about the supplement industry and fitness industry in general. Is there's a lot of companies that launch and they want to mimic another company's approach, where like us internally here, we never really look at what everyone else is doing. We talk about what we want to do and what our community and, and our customers are asking for, and we use that feedback to build out these systems. So this past year, we went through another kind of mini rebrand where we were building out a new website. We have new brand colors, guidelines, uh, going off of Go One More, which is our, our slogan. Um, so everything we do is like based off of this for the next next year at least campaign-wise, Go One More and building campaigns around that. So. We used to be all over the place. Like when I first launched my business, it was like I'm selling to everyone who goes to the gym. But over time, we've refined our mission and where we're heading and who we want to attract. Are you the sole owner? That's a good place to be, huh? I mean, you got this. You got a, a, a solid nutrition company, and then in, just in my head, if I had to look forward 18 months in the future, I feel like this is going to be a home run. Yeah, I mean, this is this has been something that we've been working on, like all these things for the past past eighteen months, um, and they're only now coming to life because of the things we've been doing the past eighteen months. So like, these past eighteen months have been like, you know, seven days a week, uh, five a.m. till midnight most nights. But now it's a point where these things are coming to life and going to launch, and it's going to pay off. Would you ever sell the company? Um. I would in, in in the future for the for the right price. I don't know what that price is right now, but I don't I don't want to let go of it anytime soon. So, um, do you do people in the military take you know pre workout? You know, do they take branch chains afterwards? You know, do they are they consumers? Of oh yeah, because there's a million plus I think soldiers in the army uh, type of thing. So you know how, how how much have you been able to tap into that market? Given that that's your background and your brand and things like that because that seems like if you just served that customer base if you just won that segment over you would be one of you know you'd be a 10 million dollar plus brand in, in general yeah i mean that we when we first started and now sharing my military story a lot of the audience that we attracted was military so we have a massive military following people send us messages all the time saying 
you know, when they go on a new military installation, they're seeing BPN shirts all over the place, which is a really cool feeling. And we recently went through a certification process with our brand. It's called BSEG Drug Free Certification. So we third party test all of our products every time they're run so that they are certified banned substance free, drug free, so that military can take them and know, hey, I, I'm, I'm safe to use these. Um, some brands go so hard on, on marketing to the military where it's like it's just like a military brand, but that's not something I ever wanted to do. I didn't want – I wanted the people in the military to – Who does that? Who's a brand that does that? I don't know. I'll see like random brands online that just like you, you camo everything, digital like print. Yeah. Um, but we, I never wanted to be a brand that was just strictly military. I wanted people in the military to align with our values and our mission and want to use BPN stuff, but I didn't feel right targeting just the military on sales. And I, I never thought that was like a right thing to do. And Sam kind of alluded to this earlier, but one of the things we try to do is we try to say, whenever you're doing something, whenever you're in the middle of a field, you see all kinds of stuff. You see problems that your company has that you're like, God, I wish somebody would solve this problem. You see other opportunities that you're like, man, we got to stay focused, but that I, I believe in that opportunity. And um, some entrepreneurs are better at recognizing those than others. Uh, I'm curious, have you seen any either problems, opportunities, trends in your space that you can kind of riff on and, and share? It can be half-baked ideas, but just what are some things you've observed? Yeah, I mean, like, like I kind of touched on a little bit earlier, I feel like people are, are people in the space don't step back and look at the big picture. They're so just tunnel vision focused in where it's like a trail where one person sets the trail and everyone's in line just following what everyone else is doing. But it, it hit us like – you know, years ago, where we pulled ourselves back from a bigger perspective, say like we don't have you don't have to follow this trail that everyone's taking. Um, you know, a clear example is just like content that companies and brands are posting online, where it's like the most unnatural, unorganic, cheesiest post, and we don't align with that. Like we we want things to be organic and natural, and, and the people that align with our brand, the athletes, ambassadors we bring on, we want it to be different. Like we want to set the path, we want to set the standard. And I think that's that's partially a value adapted from the military and things I learned in leadership and just applying it to business. What are some of the faster growing um, skews in, in your industry that didn't even exist a year ago? Um, our fastest growth right now is like the health industry. And it's been like that for the past 18 months. So like strong greens, strong reds, multivitamins, strong joints. And it's interesting because when we first launched, we were primarily a sports nutrition brand protein, pre-workouts, creatine. And we added strong greens, the green superfood supplement to the line, thinking it was just going to be an opportunity for an upsell. Like, hey, if, if you want a green supplement, we're going to create one, we're going to add to the line. Well, it quickly became our best seller. And we'll sell through, you know, 8,000 units a month of strong greens. All right, this episode is brought to you by Superside. So here's the deal. Um, I'm incredibly impatient, like horribly impatient. I get an, an idea at midnight and on 8 a.m. the next day, I want it done. And unfortunately, hiring people to get that stuff done is really time-consuming. It takes forever. So superside.com, here's what it does. You go to superside.com. They already have a team of designers ready to go. You tell them what you want, and they get it done. It's 20 times faster than traditional hiring and 50% more affordable than the agencies. If you need something designed and need it done well and fast, try them out. Superside.com. I've used them before. Love them. Um, it's like, like the health market part of our brand is really taking the lead now. And how big do you think Athletic Greens is? I've bought their stuff before. Um, that seems like a pretty big company, right? 
I mean, I've seen I've seen their sponsored stuff on like Instagram and Facebook. I've never used it. I don't know anyone else that's ever used it. Um, but I mean, I, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes with, with social media because you can make any brand look big, you know. Right. So it's it's hard to tell. If I gave you a million bucks and I said, "Hey, Nick, uh, I trust your judgment in your space. You can invest this million bucks in any other company besides yours." Uh, what company would you invest a million bucks into? I, I probably wouldn't do a product-based business. Um, I would do some sort of some sort of technology-based business, um, just because I've seen how fast money goes in a product-based business, and you can burn through that, and you can burn through a million dollars like like that. So I'd do something service-based, something tech-based, probably. Anything come to mind, or just uh, hard hard to think of on the spot? I'd say something something in the health industry because the health industry, health space, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's only going to get bigger. Um, and even when times are, are tough and, and times are good, like health is still a priority for people. So it would be some sort of health based, uh, either subscription service or, or just technology. I think wearables, What's like the- something, if anything, product based, like wearables, like the garment I'm wearing right now. I think that's like, yeah, that's where a lot of stuff is headed. And I think doing something with like, a wearable in fitness and technology based, that'd be massive. You know who two companies in that space that I think are doing wonderful are Whoop and um, Aura Ring. Yeah. I I think those guys are just crushing it. I, I don't know how – when I think of how to finance a company like that, it makes my head hurt. Like that – it just seems so expensive to start. But uh, people are buying the fuck, fuck out, out of that us, stuff, I think. Yeah. I was sent a, a Whoop and I just – I couldn't get on board with it. I, I it didn't like grab me. I like being able to see like I like the display. Like I want quick real time data, and I don't want to, have to look at my phone for it. So like I'll I'll wear a Garmin for the rest of my life till the day I die. And I don't need all the crazy features to it. But like anything can like measure my heart rate, measure my sleep, give me a pace on a run. I'm all I'm I'm team Garmin all the way. <laughs> Sean, isn't it funny how Nick said that? So his company from an outside, I think, is awesome. And he was like, yeah, I want to do tech. And then so Sean had a company that he sold to Twitch. And now he's trying to launch physical goods uh, like a, a DC yeah, but, thing. Uh, but I, I would agree that um, tech is the way to go. <laughs> so, so I'm with you on that. In fact, there's a company I'm looking at investing in. I really like this guy. I think I'm going to either invest or advise in this company. Um, and they, he's doing a kind of a, a, a app based workout thing, but he's, he's not doing influencer stuff. He's doing, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's AI based. Now AI is just kind of like a bullshit term, but what he's doing is, um, pretty simple. He's like, you know, let's say you're going to do a workout and most people just do some random thing like, Oh, three sets of 10. And he's like, why three sets and why 10? And uh, he's like, well, these are just round numbers people use because there's no science underneath, uh, you know, like for you on this day, is that the correct amount to be doing of this weight? So what his theory is, he logs everything. So he knows what weight you did, how many reps you did, how many sets you did last time. And so he knows how to incrementally get you once one unit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, when you need to rest, that sort of thing. And so that over a six-month period, you can get more gains if you use this than not. And now I, I think that's I that's bullshit, I think. I think that's bullshit. Why would that be bullshit? Because there's already things... 
like uh, Nick would know way more. But like, there's so many calculators that you can do where it helps you period. What's it called? Periodization, where you can like, it tells you like, like maybe for example, two or three weeks you keep the same weight, and then on the third, fourth, fifth week you you increase it by X percent. I don't understand why you need so much technology, technology to, do that. to do that. Well, I think it comes down to it's a, it's a theory of convenience. It's called auto regulation. I mean, like anyone can auto regulate, but a lot of people don't understand. It's like your body doesn't know reps, for example. Your body knows effort. Your body doesn't know pace. It knows effort. So like, that's why a lot of people use like the RPE scale, the rate of perceived exertion. So if I just said, hey, use this weight for an RPE 9, well, the RPE scale is based on 10. So it means RPE 9 is one rep short of failure. So I think using effort as opposed to reps is better. But auto-regulation is, for example, like if I go into a workout and I do one more upset and I don't feel good, well, I just don't, I don't do what I was supposed to that day. I just, you know, you use common sense and apply that to fitness. But AI, I, th- I can see where AI comes into play with some sort of auto-regulation or perceived effort. Yeah, yeah like, like Sam, for example, you know, our wives subscribe to Sweat and it's a workout program. There's a million workout programs online. Why do, you, why do I need an app? Why do I pay a subscription, right? People pay for convenience. They pay for certainty. They pay for having their hand held uh, to do things. And so, you know, if you have an app that's going to do the hard work for you of helping you a pick what workout to do today and then what's the numbers how many should i do of, wh- of which so that i can get gains over time people will pay for that that benefit and people are so these this guy's doing you know um over let me let me pull up his numbers real quick but he's doing over a million dollars a month already um on this app wow. and so so he's had phenomenal success and um and he's grown it you know in a very very short amount of time but um you what's know it's been his what well, what was his main source of growth paid ads Paid ads, yeah. So we, Nick, have you heard of Aptive? Uh, I don't think so. Aptive is cool. So it started by this guy named Ethan. Uh, he spoke at our event, HustleCon, and uh, it's it's a badass company. Um, but now I, I want to hear Nick's opinion. But basically, what they do is uh, they ha- it's just like a they probably have a thousand classes, and you say like strength indoor running outdoor running yoga or a bunch of different stuff and then they have like they must have they must license music from someone else and you say how much time they have and they'll give you a variety of audio classes that you can do it's wonderful it's a hundred dollars a year and he scaled it to 20 million in sales in like i think three years and it's subscriber revenue it's pretty amazing revenue but i would have to but the cost of or the barrier to entry for a business like that is so low i have to imagine the competition is stupidly high Maybe the, the most competitive on the iTunes store. Then and he grew that mainly through ads. Yeah, yeah. I, I always wonder, like, for the ads for subscriptions like that, because, like, say for example, it's a hundred dollars a year. Maybe it's like ten dollars a month. Like, you have such a low cost. Like, you have like your cost per acquisition has to be pretty low, taking consideration like the lifetime value of that customer. So, like, those numbers have to get pretty like messy yeah like you know if you're able to acquire a customer for 20 bucks or 40 dollars then you know you're saying okay cool i'm gonna pay this customer off in let's call it four months and that's the that's sort of the math you have to do to make that work yeah but then it's like you're waiting to see you're making sure like that customer holds on or you're at a loss for that cost per acquisition yeah yes but the secret i think I think that the trick is, and I, so we have a subscription business called Trends, trends.co. It's, and it's a great business. And what I learned doing that is I went and talked to Ethan of Aptive as well as like 10 or 20 different subscription companies. And they were like, 
I wish we would only do annual billing. So we only do annual billing and it helps significantly. And so I think the secret for Aptive as well as a few, uh, others like it, and I, would, I don't know if what, you, what your guys' plans are, Nick, is you have to do annual billing or three-month billing. You find that by not offering, so you don't offer monthly? No, no, we don't. And I, so do you know The Athletic? The Athletic? Yeah, it's like this, uh, it's like, uh, how do you describe The Athletic? It's sports sports news, but you pay for it on subscription. It's like local, you know, they, they report on your local team, but you got to pay for it. Yeah, and, and they raise like, I don't know, $200 million, a shit ton of money. And um, I talked to those guys and they're like, we wish we only did annual. And so does it, it, we, it definitely limit, it, it, I think it limits the amount of people that will sign up. But I think if your sales copy and your brand branding is good enough, it, it won't matter. And I think that that's something that people don't realize and they don't expect is that they think annual billing will be a turnoff for people. But I don't think so. Particularly if it's uh, $30, $30, $30 a month is what you're charging. That's $360 a year. That's not quite an impulse purchase, but I think like $199 is an impulse purchase. And but this type of stuff is super easy to test. You don't even need to know. You don't even need to say this is better than that. You literally run both tests and then the data will tell you, okay, when you do monthly, the conversion rate goes up, but then people will churn out at this month. And when we do annual, the conversion rate's this much and it goes and you just multiply the two numbers together and it'll tell you which one to do. Of course, everybody wants annual because you have more certainty, you get more cash flow, all that good stuff. But, you know, it's a math equation and you can run this test really easily. I don't think you should be religious about it. I disagree, Sean. I, I don't think you can A-B test this because if you do A-B test this, then customers are going to expect monthly. I'd rather just take that right out of the equation. Go ahead, Nick. No, like for, for most apps, you don't, they don't, most customers don't know what the other customers are seeing. I would, just, I would just automatically assume that your conversion would like take a massive hit if you didn't offer a monthly subscription. I can say for our service, I don't think that's true because our conversion is really high. What's your, what's your monthly fee and your annual, or what's your annual fee? 300 299 um, and and we're gonna raise the price to probably five or six hundred um, and I just think that I just think that annuals I'd rather I, I just think it's better and so our company I haven't raised venture capital but the cash flow from trends is just magnificent and it allows us to actually create what we want to make for people uh, otherwise it's it's hard I have another company I'm part owner in a software company that does monthly billing it's way harder. It's way harder. That's, that's an interesting perspective, actually. That it's a really good insight to take over to this uh, this training platform. Uh, yeah, I would. I and whenever I I have downloaded like the top fitness apps because I'm a nerd and I just like looking at how how marketers do stuff. It seems like most do annual billing only. Like uh, I use this app called Strong, which helps me track my lifts. It was it was only annual billing. I think Aptive was only annual billing. I think that like I always say to myself, I think like there's a handful of industries that do things best, particularly people who are uh, developing games for the iPhone. Those types of marketers are the best, and I think fitness people are close at like a second or third place for like the best marketers because it's so freaking competitive. Oh yeah, um, I mean there's new new fitness app. I mean every every influencer with over a hundred thousand followers on on Instagram is coming out with an app now. That um, it's crazy. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> like that—that that is a temporary phenomenon. And then you know, eighteen months from now, there's going to be a whole bunch of dead apps. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, even in even in our space, we see people launching launching companies or 
or trying to copy the things that we do. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize, well, it took me eight years to, to build this thing and grow it and scale it. But we'll see our some of our direct competitors copying and following things that we're doing, whether it's a product, whether it's like a, a marketing campaign. Um, but it's like by the time they someone else copies someone else, man, you're already like six months or a year behind. Nick, are you able to – do you pay yourself well? Because since you own the whole company or like – the, so, like I said, Sean and I are like mostly in Silicon Valley, and typically people build their wealth by selling businesses um, amongst our friends. Are are you able to create wealth along the way, or is it mostly um, just as little as possible? I take a small, I take a very small paycheck from BPN, but then I have additional revenue sources um, from other things I do. So, like I haven't, I haven't increased my pay since i started paying myself in 2017 so then is most of your income from like youtube ads and 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 your pdfs yeah youtube ads uh pdfs other contracts i have with other companies uh like retainers for for some marketing stuff that i've been doing um but that that's majority of my money bpn is probably what i pay myself on salary through bpn is the smallest amount of money that i make Uh, um and what how do you have time to do marketing for other people? Um, I mean, it's something that I used to do more of and something this year that I'm actually, I've cut back on like a lot of my contracts that I had. It sounds like you're the, you're the, you're the model. You're not the marketer, right? You're the, you're the, you're giving your likeness to them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like some posts that I'm doing for them. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not, not, I'm not doing their marketing. Like it's, a paid post here and there or a YouTube right. feature or I promote a product and it's an affiliate sale um, or my book that I launched, stuff like that. So, And what's the premise of the book? So the book's called what? 25 hours? The book's called 25 hours a day. So it's essentially – What does that mean? Is, is that your philosophy? Uh, well, the story behind it is I was sitting in Fort Benning, Georgia and I was I was talking to the, the captains from the 75th Ranger Regiment and I turned to one of them and this was before I – I met my platoon. This is when I'm still in training. I just got done with ranger school. I turned to this one captain. I said, like, you know, tell me how to be a good leader in the military. And he essentially, and this stuck with me, he pointed to a guy across the room. And he's like, you see that guy over there? That guy, when, like, shit hits a fan, when, when bullets are flying over his shoulder, he, I'll look at him, and he's as calm as the other side of the pillow. Like, he's as cool as the other side of the pillow. He just he doesn't react to anything. He just slows down time itself. So they go, oh, shit, well, I need to slow down time itself. So I came up with this concept in my head, and it stuck with me for a long time. Like, I'm just literally extending my day to 25 hours. Like, I'm living my day like I have 25 hours. So, like, when I was first building the brand, and, and the book is about building my company and going through the military and the lessons I learned in the military and applying those to being a leader in business, I essentially would just, like, sacrifice sleep if I had to. I would sacrifice all luxuries if I had to because I didn't have a choice. It's not like I'm out here just, like, working for – to work. It's that my the amount of time I had to work was so small because of the military. Um, so I just adapted this mindset of just living like a life of like 25 hours a day, something that no one else was able to do. But mentally to me, it, it, it worked. So that was the premise behind like coming so, up so, with a story. So what, what, what does that mean? So, so, you, so how does one live with 25 hours in a day? Is it I sleep one hour less? Is that the trick? It, it, <laughs> what if you it have to. Mean? Yeah. I mean it's, it's mentally slowing down time itself to me. So it's like while – and I'll watch people do this in business like in fitness 
with social media stuff, it's like they're so reactive. So like as soon as like shit hits a fan or something goes wrong, they're jumping to, to conclusions and they're rushing to failure. And it's like they're not able to pull themselves back and like look at it from a bigger perspective. And I learned that from the military. It's like shit is always going to go wrong. But like you literally have to like pull yourself back and like slow down time itself where it's like you're in a movie and everything else is still going on. But like you're watching yourself from like a third person. And it's just like this mindset adaptive, just like slowing down the day. And if you don't get sleep that day, you don't get sleep. If you don't get food that day, you don't get, you don't get food. And I think like the military itself had a really strong impact in that. But the concept of 25 hours a day, it's like, it just kept sticking with me because it's like everyone's so rushed to do things in a day that only has 24 hours. It's like, well, I'm going to give myself 25 hours. <laughs> Who uh, did someone publish that or did you self publish that book? Uh, Lion Crest Publishing published that here in Austin. Do they give you an. Oh, uh, Tucker. Yep. Yeah, Tucker's company. Tuck, Tucker's a good friend of mine. Did, uh, so then you didn't get like an advance on it? No, I didn't. Do you think that that book sales will be a significant stream of revenue? Um, not significant. I mean, they, they've done pretty well so far. But I think it's just a really good way to get the story on about the brand. Um, so it's, an, it's another way for people to connect with Bear Performance Nutrition at a deeper level other than it just being a supplement company because there's a, such a strong story behind it. Sean, have you heard of Lioncrest? No, that's uh, okay. part of the book in the box thing? Yeah, so Tucker Max, who's uh, an angel investor in my company and someone I, I look up to, he created this business. And at first, what it was was you paid $25,000 and they would write a book for you um, where basically what you do is you like would – I'm kind of – I don't want to disrespect them, so I don't want to dumb it down too much. But basically, you they asked you a series of questions and you kind of dictated to them and they helped ghostwrite it for you. And then they offered more services. I think now they charge $36,000. And they, then eventually they offered more services where they would like help like launch it, make the design it and a ton of cool stuff. It was awesome. Did you like that experience, Nick? Yeah, it was, it was a good experience um, overall. It was nice having them right here in Austin that I could kind of just bounce ideas off to and go to, go to the office and stuff. Did they approach you? Did they like cold email you saying, hey, Nick, your story would be great? Or did you try to find them or how did that happen? I came across Scribe and Tucker like years ago. So I was on their email list. And writing a book was always on my mind. So I got like a, you know, one of their emails one day. I was like, man, today's the day I'm going to do it. Um, so I just made the move. And it was like January of 2019 is when I started started working with them. Here you I've, go, I've, I've, I've thought about this. Oh, nice. The book in the box method. So I've thought about doing this. But then, you know, the questions that I have is like, hey, how much time is this going to take? Because, you know, I don't think this is going to be like some big winner. winner. It's like a fun project. It's nice to have. And then B, uh, you know, what's really going to come of this? So, you know, how many people will actually read this thing? Um, that, you know, is this going to have a big impact or small impact? So what was your experience? So how long did it take you to, how, you know, how much time did it take on your end to get this thing done? And then uh, what was the impact? Too I mean, it was a lot of time. It, it required a lot of time. And it was essentially all of, of 2019. Uh, and it launched January 28th of 2020. But the impact is great. I mean, my a lot of my audience, a lot of people that follow me, they know the story. Um, but the, the thing was, all my story is spread out over years in hundreds of videos of YouTube. And for me to say, hey, go watch hundreds of hours of content on YouTube to, to find out what the story is, 
my thought process and reasoning was, well, I'll create this book that tells a story that shares nuggets of information that I haven't talked about before, but it's a well-organized way of creatively telling the story. And that's what I wanted it for. That's great. You, yeah, everything in one place. And so how, how many books, like I guess sold or whatever, would you consider like a success for this? Um, I think like week one, we sold like 10,000 copies. Um, that seems great to me. me. I don't, yeah, that I don't, sounds awesome actually. Yeah, I don't know what the number of total copies I'm at right now. Like week one was like 10,000 I believe. Did, did, you, did you have a goal for it or you were just like whatever? I was kind of just like whatever. Like I – I wanted I wanted to get in as many hands of people as possible um, to to find out the story, find out more about bear performance nutrition. I really wanted to create the book as well to be more of a credible source in the space. Um, you know, when I first started, I was seen as a YouTuber, and I think some people still see me as a YouTuber. I don't want to be seen as a YouTuber the rest of my life. I want to be seen as entrepreneur, business owner, author. So it was another way to build credibility in my space. And that was another one of the reasons. When you do a video, and so you have four hundred thousand subscribers, you said. When you do a video, let's say that you do a video, and and it's not like, and it's not overly promotional. But let's say you do this video, and you're like, all right, we have these new, uh, these new athletic or uh, these new green, this new green product, uh, the greens uh, or whatever, or this new protein powder, and you launch it. How much traffic will you send to that product in twenty four hours? Um, really depends on what it is. Like we have a launch coming up May 6th for a new endurance supplement. And I think like that day we might sell 3000 units. Um, like black Friday, for example, black Friday, like 48 hours with like, I think it was 9,000 orders. But but that'll be a mix, right? Of paid your email list plus your YouTube plus that'll be the total kind of marketing. Yeah, it's like that's like the, the culmination of all efforts coming together, right? So why are you operating the business now, or do you have a partner who handles most day to day? Are you in the trenches still? Um, I'm still in the trenches. We just we just hired a director of business operations who's kind of in the process of taking over a lot of my admin stuff. So he started April first. So that's still like in a transition, but I got to a point where I was handling way too much in the business rather than working on the business stuff. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just like hire a a young guy to follow you all the time with the camera and just start churning this shit out because your stuff's good. Why, why don't you just only do content? I did hire a full-time videographer like six months ago and then Bayer Performance Nutrition grew so much that he had to be the sole videographer for BPN. Um, we have another creative that starts May 4th, and then our next hire is going to be uh, another videographer just for my content. But trying to keep up with our scale, um, I'm really slow to hire just because we have such a strong culture here that I want to maintain that culture. I don't want to bring in like essentially cancer that ruins that. Sean, you should see their office. They have like – it's like a uh, – I don't know. what How many square feet do you guys have? We're now in 20,000 square Holy shit. So they got this like 20,000 square foot warehouse and it has like a huge gym which with turf and all this. It's it's really cool. What do you what do you pay for 20,000 square feet in the it's suburbs of Austin, right? Yeah, it's North Austin. Uh it's, it's about 28,000 a month. 28 grand a month, so uh uh like a dollar 20 per square foot or something. Okay, so Nick, you can do my idea then. So I had this idea not long ago. Uh, I don't think it's a great business idea, but I just think it's fun, and I think it actually would align well with what you're doing. 
which is, you know, like the NFL Combine? Yeah. So basically, I think that uh, as youth sports has gotten more and more competitive and people really care more and they're spending a lot of money on trainers and travel teams and whatnot, um, I think there should be a combine for youth athletes. And so if you have a facility where you have this, you know, place where you could do a 40-yard dash and you could do a vertical leap and you could do all this stuff, uh, I think it'd be great to host a field day and you let any young athlete come. They pay their 50 bucks. And they're going to get official time scores. They're, they're and bare score. They're going to get their measurements. They're going to get everything. And it's going to give, be given to them as sort of an official certification or s- official bear certification. And um, you could just do it out of your facility. And it would just be a good marketing event for your thing. Uh, but I, I really think there's quite a lot of demand for um, youth athletes to sort of start to to build their resume like like they see the pros do. Oh, man, especially, especially here in Texas. Football is no joke here. Exactly. That's yeah, not a bad idea. It's like a, it's like a combine, but you have to add in like a five mile run. Yeah, exactly. You do whatever whatever you believe like a, a all around fitness test is. Yeah, I mean, we've we've bounced around the idea of of building something similar to like you know the tough mutters, the go rocks, like Spartan races. Um, we kind of see embrace suck training going towards that model someday. There's no plan in place yet to to get there. But it's kind of just like the vision we see of, of taking it to something similar to that. It'd be interesting to see what is a Tough mutter kind of in the post-COVID world, right? Where like I think in general, large gatherings, large events where there's lack of sanitation is, is not going to be a popular thing uh, for the next, I don't know, 18 months or forever. I'm not sure. And um, and so I wonder what would be the sa- a similar thing where it's a way to test yourself um, something you sort of brag worthy, like something you could share that you're doing. Uh, but maybe it's something that you could do in your backyard or your garage and it is sort of the bare challenge. And, um, you know, you can, the person sort of gets, they, they open up your app or whatever, and it sort of auto films like a time lapse of them doing the whole thing. And this is a very tough thing to do, but everybody's doing it on their own, not, a, not in one large yeah. gathering. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, all the races now are virtual, like there's virtual 5Ks. I'm doing a virtual one-mile race this weekend. And I think, honestly, for like the time being, a lot of stuff will go virtual just because of the way everything with COVID-19 is. I mean, how, I, how does that work? You just go run on your own and just push your time or what? Yeah, I mean – Yeah, have you, heard like, of, have you heard of Zeus, Sean? No. What's it called, Nick? Is it Zeus? What's the the site? Is that it? The cycling Zeus, one? Zeus is a dating site. Um, <laughs> what's, um, what's the cycling one that starts with a Z? Oh, man. I know what you're talking about. Um, it's huge. They raised like a hundred million in funding. Yeah, I, I can't. And what do they do? Swift. So Swift. Yeah. So what they do is, it's Ironmen or basically competitive cyclists love it. And what you do is you hook it up to a smart trainer. It's expensive. Like a, their their trainer costs like five hundred dollars. And then the the people who are really into it, what they do is they. It's usually people who have money, and so you put your your smart trainer, Sean, which is like this like little stand that you put your bike on. And then you put a big screen TV or a computer in front of you and you can do rides with competitors. So you can like do like a group ride where it looks – it's just like a video game. You're like riding your bike uh, on this screen and you're competing with people and um, you can do time time trials. It's huge. I think – Dude, I would have never believed this. I mean $164 million raised uh, at a $500 to a billion valuation. Wow, this is – it's huge. I mean, it's it's huge. It, they probably don't even have that many customers. So I mean, cycling is not that big of a market. The endurance market, like endurance sports, endurance athletes, they will spend money. Like that. That's a that's a space to get into. 
And that's kind of why like we're we're now creating products in the endurance market because we have we have a company here in Austin called Roca. You know, Roca makes like triathlon gear, running stuff. I bought my uh, my my, my tri suit from them because of you. Yeah, I mean, Roca makes great stuff, but like they're dominating the market right now because it's that's like a market that, from what I see, is almost behind in, in times, in, in that space of fitness. And like Roca just went out there and absolutely wrecked and destroyed it. Uh, Nick, we had Lance Armstrong on the podcast a while back, and like a few months ago, and I we I was trying to convince him he needs to become the Jimmy Buffett of weekend warriors. So like uh, have like hotels for people who are training for Ironmans. Have just sell all types of cool, interesting stuff for that endurance crowd. Because I agree, if you look at um Ironman and you look at the participant growth. It's pretty phenomenal. It's just because it's a bunch of rich white dudes who uh, are looking for like who want to stay young for a long time and are doing all types of in- interesting things to do that. And it's crazy. It's growing like crazy. Yeah, I mean, we think we think breaking into that market like from a nutrition standpoint is going to be really big for us. Um, but like, yeah, when I, when I launched my like Iron Man series, like that that blew the channel up. Like that was a big spike in growth in my channel, just because that attracted so many new people. This is crazy. So if I'm looking at Ironman uh, competitors by calendar year, so you're right. So somewhere around 2011, it started spiking and it grew year over year up till 2014, 15. It's been about the same since then. A Chinese um, company bought Ironman for about 80, 80, 500 million 000, bucks. Really? 80,000 athletes that are in the, I don't know what Kona is, but I guess that's the official one. So 80,000 athletes who do the official uh, Ironman thing per year. Kona is like, yeah, the, it's, like the qualifier. They have a million participants a year, Ironman does. I, I almost did a big case study on them. I'm, I'm really interested in Ironman. Yeah, uh, um, the richest man in China, he's a real estate developer, and he has uh, a company that now owns a bunch of stuff, and he recently bought Ironman about three years ago, four years ago, for maybe three or $400 million, and then he sold it uh, about four months ago, right before Corona, for like... Uh, a, a profit of a hundred to two hundred million dollars, a good profit. I forget who he sold it to, but uh, it's changing hands. And then another one that's that they bought was the Rock and Roll Marathon, which is a series of marathons in Austin, Nashville, Charlotte, things like that. And they have a band every mile, and it's not a sophisticated business. I mean, they're not like hard. You just have to build a brand around them, and, and they're pretty good, I think, because uh, people. Uh, it's growing like crazy, but the downside is like during Corona, like they just are completely dead. Nothing they can do. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Okay, so I got a business idea for you. So, um, so I don't know if you've ever done these uh, through the Nike training app. They have these like guided runs. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these, but yeah, they're it's awesome. Pretty, it's pretty cool. You just say like, all right, I'm going to go for a 20 minute run, um, and it, there's like a kind of the Nike running coach is talking to you, mixed in with music as you do it. It's pretty good. And um, so let's say, you know, again, if, if this sort of whole endurance market is, is as big as it seems, which I, I believe, um, how, do you, how do you do this? How do you make like sort of a, um, a virtual version of this that's really great? And I wonder if you could do this, you know, into people's AirPods. How do you have a live, you know, you know maybe set of, uh, of, of surprise guests that every mile switch and it's a new sort of celebrity coach in your ear new dj on set or whatever it is and you take people through you know a 10 mile run or whatever it is um but it's a live it's a live audio experience for anybody that shows up that day at that time to run in their neighborhood yeah we actually, what do you mean how do you do that it's easy we, we oh, go ahead Nick, we, we start like, we started talking about doing something similar to that where we were going to film 
like one of my 10 mile runs or like a half marathon or even a marathon and, and stream it on Facebook and Instagram uh, to see like people engaged and watching. It was, it's just going to be me running, but we'd have to get the team involved or something. We thought about doing that. We talked about that idea, but it's just like, how interesting can you make it? You know? Yeah, that's why I think you got to do audio so that it, you you're, you need people to participate so they can't be watching, right? Because they can't be on their phone while they're running or whatever. And so if you do it audio, if you go in their ears and they can go outside and they can start their run or just like you're going to do a, a virtual 5K or whatever it is you said, um, how do you do that? But, you know, what, what would you be able to do where you could charge 50 bucks to enter? And like, what would you need to provide? And maybe there are celebrities today who would be down to kind of help you know, help people stay fit during this, you know, really weird time by, by being a guest or, you know, hopping into, hopping on, on the microphone, um, during, you know, a certain part of the race. That'd be cool. It's, it's just like so weird right now because no one knows when all of this COVID stuff's going to end. So like that's, that's what we're trying to figure out now is how far in advance we plan for and what makes most sense to spend time on. And like say like right. say say you spend all your time doing this stuff, then all these these lifts get taken away, and people are like, well, well the, the way I view it um, is is like you have this six month period right now for sure, where um, there's going to be some some kind of rolling shelter in place uh, situation, and everybody's now aware that this is the way that life could be. So they will like businesses will buy products now because they know hey at any time we could have to support a remote workforce. Um, same thing on the consumer side where it's like you take a loan of users. You're like, hey, can I get a loan of like 2 million users? Because um, – and I know I have to kind of pay them back when the world you know, reopens. But if I, lo- if I borrow these users today and I can give them some experience, some per- percentage of them are going to stick with this when the world sort of re- goes back to whatever the new normal is going to be. And so the way I look at it is you can get free adoption of, a, of some new experience during the next six to nine months. Um, and so you get this crazy adoption. Now, what percentage of them stick with you? I don't know. You're going to have to pay back some of those users who will not who will not continue with you. But, you know, maybe 20% of them, maybe 30% of them will actually stick with whatever new experience you have and actually carry it forward post this. And so I think it's just this great window of time where you're going to get a bunch of free adoption. And that's how I would think about any business during this time. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we did with with that free Embrace Suck Home training you know, exactly. That's a perfect example. Yeah. So like, as it's been going on, people have fallen off naturally. Like they've, they found places to train and work on that. We've had a, a lot of people, you know, stay on the, on the, the program and the platform. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time. It's, it's, I think it's time to be innovative and create something different. Did, Sean, did you know Tough Mudder filed for bankruptcy a few months ago? Yeah. We, we talked about it on here. I don't What ended up happening? Did, did they actually close to trade hands? What happened? Uh, not yet, but it's, it's looking like it. It's it was it's it, a month ago they almost made a deal, but they did file for bankruptcy, and that fucking company took off, man. They got to 100 million in sales in like three or four years. So Nick, you should go get involved in that, and you should go because uh, you'll be able to go see all their numbers, all their usage, all their everything. So if you've ever thought about doing your own race, you know Tough Mudder's books are open right now, and whether you buy them or not doesn't matter. You can go under, you can go get all their information for free right now. What was their issue? What, what- what was the reason for bankruptcy? I don't know. I know that I, I don't know that all the details. I do know that the founder, I think his name is Will Dean. I think that he was a controversial guy. 
Um, I, I think there were some lawsuits. They also owe Active Networks 18... Active Networks is like the ticketing platform. They owe them like $18 million. I don't think that it was a matter... I, uh, well, I do know that over the last handful of years, demand plateaued for Spartan Race and Tough Mudder. That definitely happened. Like, that shit was like a novelty and it kind of got old fast. And I think that uh, it was more like a one-off experience versus a marathon that you do every single year or you do like three or four a year. And so I think that demand definitely plateaued and there was not space for all of them in the market but then also it seems like they had really bad cash management and they just couldn't handle their uh, debts they so, uh, they didn't so raise any february, money so in february it actually did sell out of bankruptcy to spartan race and so spartan race paid seven hundred thousand dollars and assumed ten million dollars of their liabilities and had to honor the prepaid tickets to like tough mudder events that are coming up but that was the price paid by spartan for for tough mudder that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's, that's, that's kind of the way I see those races anyways. is like it's a one-off type thing. It's not something – I'm not going to train for a Tough Mudder or a Spartan race like on a quarterly basis. I'm, I'm going to train for a marathon or something like that. But like it's hard to measure your improvement on a race like that. There's, like, there's, no, yeah, right, right. there's no baseline. Um, Sean, is there anything else you want to discuss before we wrap up? No, we should wrap up. Uh, Nick, where, where should people I don't know, follow you, find you? Where, what should they check out? You guys have a podcast, a Twitter. Where do you want to send people? Yeah, Instagram. Uh, my personal is Nick Bear. It's B-A-R-E Fitness. Uh, our company Instagram is BPN Sups. And our company website is BearPerformanceNutrition.com. Awesome. I just got a rowing machine, so I'm going to go row right after this And uh, in your honor. I'll be thinking about you the whole time. Yeah, I, got, I got seven miles to do, so I'll be running. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for this, dude. This is awesome. You are uh, – I, I, we have a lot of cool guests on here, but uh, I'm super pumped that you're here because I am a, personally a big fan. So selfishly, this is awesome for me. I appreciate it. No, thanks, guys.